0: chapter 16 of middlemarch this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox.org recording by red Abras. Middle middlemarch by george eliot chapter 16 all that in a woman is adored, in thy fair self I find, for the whole sex can but afford the handsome and the kind, Sir Charles Sedley. The question whether Mr. Tyke should be appointed as salaried chaplain to the hospital was an exciting topic to the middle marchers, and Lydgate heard it discussed in a way that threw much light on the power exercised in the town by Mr. Bulstrode. The banker was evidently a ruler, but there was an opposition party, and even among his supporters there were some who allowed it to be seen that their support was a compromise, and who frankly stated their impression that the general scheme of things, and especially the casualties of trade, required you to hold a candle to the devil. Mr. Bulstrode's power was not due simply to his being a country banker who knew the financial secrets of most traders in the town and could touch the springs of their credit. It was fortified by a beneficence that was at once ready and severe, ready to confer obligations, and severe in watching the result. He had gathered, as an industrious man always at his post, a chief share in administering the town charities, and his private charities were both minute and abundant he would take a great deal of pains about apprenticing teg the shoemaker's son and he would watch over teg's church-going he would defend mrs stripe the washerwoman against stubbs's unjust exaction on the score of a drying ground and he would himself scrutinize a calumny against mrs stripe his private minor loans were numerous but he would inquire strictly into the circumstances both before and after in this way a man gathers a domain in his neighbour's hope and fear as well as gratitude and power when once it has got into that subtle region propagates itself spreading out of all proportion to its external means It was a principle with Mr. Bulstrode to gain as much power as possible, that he might use it for the glory of God. He went through a great deal of spiritual conflict and inward argument in order to adjust his motives, and make clear to himself what God's glory required. But as we have seen, his motives were not always rightly appreciated. There were many crass minds in Middlemarch whose reflective scales could only weigh things in the lump and they had a strong suspicion that since mr bulstrode could not enjoy life in their fashion eating and drinking so little as he did and worrying himself about everything he must have a sort of vampire's feast in the sense of mastery The subject of the chaplaincy came up at Mr. Vincey's table when Lydgate was dining there, and the family connection with Mr. Bulstrode did not, he observed, prevent some freedom of remark even on the part of the host himself, though his reasons against the proposed arrangement turned entirely on his objection to Mr. Tyke's sermons, which were all doctrine, and his preference for Mr. Fairbrother, whose sermons were free from that taint. Mr. Vincey liked well enough the notion of the chaplain's having a salary, supposing it were given to Fairbrother, who was as good a little fellow as ever breathed, and the best preacher anywhere, and companionable too. What line shall you take then? said Mr. Chichli, the coroner, a great coursing comrade of Mr. Vincey's. Oh, I am precious glad I am not one of the directors now i shall vote for referring the matter to the directors and the medical board together i shall roll some of my responsibility on your shoulders doctor said mr Vincey, glancing first at dr sprague the senior physician of the town and then at lydgate who sat opposite you medical gentlemen must consult which sort of black draught you will prescribe eh mr lydgate i know little of either said lydgate but in general, appointments are apt to be made too much a question of personal liking. The fittest man for a particular post is not always the best fellow or the most agreeable. Sometimes if you wanted to get a reform, your only way would be to pension off the good fellows whom everybody is fond of and put them out of the question. Dr. Sprague, who was considered the physician of most weight, though dr minchin was usually said to have more penetration divested his large heavy face of all expression and looked at his wine-glass while Lydgate was speaking whatever was not problematical and suspected about this young man for example a certain showiness as to foreign ideas and a disposition to unsettle what had been settled and forgotten by his elders was positively unwelcome to a physician whose standing had been fixed thirty years before by the tritzy on meningitis, of which at least one copy marked own was bound in calf. For my part, I have some fellow feeling with Dr. Sprague. One's self-satisfaction is an untaxed kind of property which it is very unpleasant to find deprecated. Lydgate's remark, however, did not meet the sense of the company. Mr. Vincey said that if he could have his way, he would not put disagreeable fellows anywhere. Hang your reforms, said Mr. Cheechley. There is no greater humbug in the world. You never hear of a reform, but it means some trick to put in new men. I hope you are not one of the Lancet's men, Mr. Lydgate, wanting to take The coronership out of the hands of the legal profession your words appear to point that way i disapprove of wakley interposed dr sprague no man more he is an ill-intentioned fellow who would sacrifice the respectability of the profession which everybody knows depends on the london colleges for the sake of getting some notoriety for himself there are men who don't mind about being kicked blue if they can only get talked about but Wakely is right sometimes, the doctor added, judicially. I could mention one or two points in which Wakeley is in the right. Oh, well, said Mr. Chitley. I blame no man for standing up in favour of his own cloth. But coming to argument, I should like to know how a coroner is to judge of evidence if he has not had a legal training in my opinion said lydgate legal training only makes a man more incompetent in questions that require knowledge of another kind people talk about evidence as if it could really be weighed in scales by a blind justice no man can judge what is good evidence on any particular subject unless he knows that subject well a lawyer is no better than an old woman at a post-mortem examination how is he to know the action of a poison you might as well say that scanning verse will teach you to scan the potato crops you were aware i suppose that it is not the coroner's business to conduct the post-mortem but only to take the evidence of the medical witness said mr cheechley with some scorn who is often almost as ignorant as the coroner himself said Lydgate questions of medical jurisprudence ought not to be left to the chance of decent knowledge in a medical witness and the coroner ought not to be a man who will believe that strychnine will destroy the coats of the stomach if an ignorant practitioner happens to tell him so lydgate had really lost sight of the fact that mr cheechley was his majesty's coroner and ended innocently with the question don't you agree with me dr sprague to a certain extent with regard to populous districts and in the metropolis said the doctor but i hope it will be long before this part of the country loses the services of my friend chichle even though it might get the best man in our profession to succeed him i am sure Vincey will agree with me yes yes give me a coroner who is a good coursing man said mr Vincey jovially and in my opinion you are safest with a lawyer nobody can know Everything. Most things are visitation of God. And as to poisoning, why, what do you want to know is the law. Come, shall we join the ladies? Lydgate's private opinion was that Mr. Chichely might be the very coroner without bias as to the coats of the stomach. But he had not meant to be personal. This was one of the difficulties of moving in good Middlemarch society. It was dangerous to insist on knowledge as a qualification for any salaried office fred Vincy had called lydgate a prick and now mr cheechley was inclined to call him prick especially when in the drawing-room he seemed to be making himself eminently agreeable to rosamond whom he had easily monopolized in a tete-tete since mrs Vincy herself sat at the tea-table she resigned no domestic function to her daughter and the matron's blooming good-natured face with the two volatile pink strings floating from her fine throat and her cheery manners to husband and children was suddenly among the great attractions of the Vincy house attractions which made it all the easier to fall in love with the daughter the tinge of unpretentious inoffensive vulgarity in mrs Vincy gave more effect to rosamond's refinement which was beyond what lydgate had expected Certainly small feet and perfectly turned shoulders aid the impression of refined manners, and the right thing said seems quite astonishingly right when it is accompanied with exquisite curves of lip and eyelid. And Rosamond could say the right thing, for she was clever, with that sort of cleverness which catches every tone except the humorous. Happily she never attempted to joke, and this perhaps was the most decisive mark of her cleverness she and lydgate readily got into conversation he regretted that he had not heard her sing the other day at stonecourt the only pleasure he allowed himself during the latter part of his stay in paris was to go and hear music you have studied music probably said rosamond no i know the notes of many birds and i know many melodies by ear but the music that i don't know at all and have no notion about delights me affects me how stupid the world is that it does not make more use of such a pleasure within its reach yes and you will find middlemarch very tuneless there are hardly any good musicians i only know two gentlemen who sing at all well i suppose it is the fashion to sing comic songs in a rhythmic way leaving you to fancy the tune very much as if it were trapped on a drum ah you have heard mr bower said rosamond with one of her rare smiles but we are speaking very ill of our neighbours Lydgate was almost forgetting that he must carry on the conversation in thinking how lovely this creature was her garments seeming to be made out of the faintest blue sky herself so immaculately blonde as if the petals of some gigantic flower had just opened and disclosed her and yet with this infantine blondness showing so much ready self-possessed grace since he had had the memory of laurae lydgate had lost all taste for large-eyed silence the divine cow no longer attracted him and Rosamond was her very opposite but he recalled himself you will let me hear some music to-night i hope i will let you hear my attempts if you like said Rosamond. papa is sure to insist on my singing but i shall tremble before you who have heard the best singers in paris I have heard very little. I have only once been to London. But our organist at St. Peter's is a good musician, and I go on studying with him. Tell me what you saw in London. Very little. A more naive girl would have said, Oh, everything. But Rosamond knew better. A few of the ordinary sights, such as rock country girls, are always taken to. Do you call yourself a rock country girl? said Lydgate, looking at her with an involuntary emphasis of admiration which made Rosamond blush with pleasure. But she remained simply serious, turned her long neck a little, and put up her hand to touch her wondrous hair plaits, an habitual gesture with her as pretty as any movements of a kitten's paw. Not that Rosamond was in the least like a kitten, she was a sylph caught young and educated at mrs lemon's i assure you my mind is raw she said immediately i pass at middlemarch i am not afraid of talking to our old neighbours but i am really afraid of you an accomplished woman almost always knows more than we men though her knowledge is of a different sort i am sure you should teach me a thousand things as an exquisite bird would teach a bear if there were any common language between them happily there is a common language between women and men and so the bears can get taught ah there is fred beginning to strum i must go and hinder him from jarring all your nerves said Rosamond, moving to the other side of the room where fred having opened the piano at his father's desire that Rosamond might give them some music was parenthetically performing cherry ripe with one hand able men who have passed their examinations will do these things sometimes not less than the plucked fred fred pray defer your practising till to-morrow you will make mr lydgate ill said Rosamond. he has an ear fred laughed and went on with his tune to the end Rosamond turned to lydgate smiling gently and said you perceive the bears will not always be taught now then rosy said fred springing from the stool and twisting it upward for her with a hearty expectation of enjoyment some good rousing tunes first rosamond played admirably her master at mrs lemon's school close to a country town with a memorable history that had its relics in church and castle was one of those excellent musicians here and there to be found in our provinces worthy to compare with many a noted capelmister in a country which offers more plentiful conditions of musical celebrity. Rosamond, with the executant's instinct, had seized his manner of playing and gave forth his large rendering of noble music with the precision of an echo. It was almost startling, heard for the first time a hidden soul seemed to be flowing forth from rosamond's fingers and so indeed it was since souls live on in perpetual echoes and to all fine expression there goes somewhere an originating activity if it be only that of an interpreter lydgate was taken possession of and began to believe in her as something exceptional after all he thought one need not be surprised to find the rare conjunctions of nature under circumstances apparently unfavourable come where they may they always depend on conditions that are not obvious he sat looking at her and did not rise to pay her any compliments leaving that to others now that his admiration was deepened her singing was less remarkable but also well trained and sweet to hear as a chime perfectly in tune it is true she sang meet me by moonlight and i have been roaming for mortals must share the fashions of their time and none but the ancients can be always classical but rosamond could also sing black-eyed susan with effect or haydn's canzonets or voice sapete or bati bati she only wanted to know what her audience liked her father looked round at the company delighting in their admiration her mother sat like a nobe before her troubles with her youngest little girl on her lap softly beating the child's hand up and down in time to the music and fred notwithstanding his general scepticism about rosie listened to her music with perfect allegiance wishing he could do the same thing on his flute it was the pleasantest family party that lydgate had seen since he came to middlemarch the vinceys had the readiness to enjoy the rejection of all anxiety and the belief in life as a merry lord which made a house exceptional in most county towns at that time when evangelicalism had cast a sudden suspicion as of plague infection over the few amusements which survived in the provinces at the vinceys there was always whist and the card tables stood ready now making some of the company secretly impatient of the music before it ceased mr fairbrother came in a handsome broad-chested but otherwise small man about forty whose black was very threadbare the brilliancy was all in his quick grey eyes he came like a pleasant change in the light arresting little Louisa with fatherly nonsense as she was being led out of the room by Miss Morgan, greeting everybody with some special word, and seeming to condense more talk into ten minutes than had been held all through the evening. He claimed from Lydgate the fulfilment of a promise to come and see him. I can't let you off, you know, because I have some beetles to show you. We collectors feel an interest in every new man till he has seen all we have to show him. But soon he swerved to the whist-table, rubbing his hands and saying, Come now, let us be serious. Mr. Lydgate, not play? Ah, you are too young and light for this kind of thing. Lydgate said to himself that the clergyman, whose abilities were so painful to Mr. Bulstrode appeared to have found an agreeable resort in this certainly not erudite household he could half understand it the good humour the good looks of elder and younger and the provision for passing the time without any labour of intelligence might make the house be to people who had no particular use for their odd hours everything looked blooming and joyous except miss morgan who was brown, dull, and resigned, and altogether, as Mrs. Vincey often said, just the sort of person for a governess. Lydgate did not mean to pay many such visits himself. They were a wretched waste of the evenings, and now, when he had talked a little more to Rosamond, he meant to excuse himself and go. You will not like us at Middlemarch, I feel sure, she said, when the whist players were settled we are very stupid and you have been used to something quite different i suppose all country towns are pretty much alike said Lydgate. but i have noticed that one always believes one's own town to be more stupid than any other i have made up my mind to take middlemarch as it comes and shall be much obliged if the town will take me in the same way i have certainly found some charms in it which are much greater than i had expected you mean the rides towards Tipton and Lowick? Everyone is pleased with those, said Rosamond with simplicity. No, I mean something much nearer to me. Rosamond rose and reached her netting, and then said Do you care about dancing at all? I am not quite sure whether clever men ever dance. I would dance with you if you would allow me. Oh, said Rosamond, with a slight deprecatory laugh. I was only going to say that we sometimes have dancing, and I wanted to know whether you would feel insulted if you were asked to come. Not on the condition I mentioned. After this chat, Lydgate thought that he was going, but on moving towards the west stables, he got interested in watching Mr. Fairbrother's play, which was masterly, and also his face, which was a striking mixture of the shrewd and the mild. At ten o'clock, supper was brought in such were the customs of Middlemarch, and there was a punch drinking but mr fairbrother had only a glass of water he was winning but there seemed to be no reason why the renewal of rubbers should end and lydgate at last took his leave but as it was not eleven o'clock he chose to walk in the brisk air towards the tower of saint botolph's mr fairbrother's church which stood out dark square and massive against the starlight It was the oldest church in Middlemarch. The living, however, was but a vicarage worth barely four hundred a year. Lydgate had heard that, and he wondered now whether Mr. Fairbrother cared about the money he won at cards, thinking he seems a very pleasant fellow, but Bulstrode may have his good reasons. Many things would be easier to Lydgate if it should turn out that Mr. Bulstrode was generally justifiable what is his religious doctrine to me if he carries some good notions along with it one must use such brains as are to be found these were actually lydgate's first meditations as he walked away from mr vincey's and on this ground i fear that many ladies will consider him hardly worthy of their attention he thought of rosamond and her music only in the second place and though when her turn came he dwelt on the image of her for the rest of his walk he felt no agitation and had no sense that any new current had set into his life he could not marry yet he wished not to marry for several years and therefore he was not ready to entertain the notion of being in love with a girl whom he happened to admire he did admire rosamond exceedingly But that madness which had once beset him about lorry was not, he thought, likely to occur in relation to any other woman certainly if falling in love had been at all in question it would have been quite safe with a creature like this miss Vincey who had just the kind of intelligence one would desire in a woman polished refined docile lending itself to finish in all the delicacies of life and enshrined in a body which expressed this with a force of demonstration that excluded the need for other evidence lydgate felt sure that if ever he married his wife would have that feminine radiance that distinctive womanhood which must be classed with flowers and music that sort of beauty which by its very nature was virtuous, being moulded only for pure and delicate joys. But since he did not mean to marry for the next five years, his more pressing business was to look into Lois's new book on fever, which he was specially interested in, because he had known Louis in Paris, and had followed many anatomical demonstrations in order to ascertain the specific differences of typhus and typhoid. He went home and read far into the smallest hour, bringing a much more testing vision of details and relations into this pathological study than he had ever thought it necessary to apply to the complexities of love and marriage, these being subjects on which he felt himself amply informed by literature, and that traditional wisdom which is handed down in the genial conversation of men. Whereas fever had obscure conditions and gave him that delightful labour of the imagination which is not mere arbitrariness, but the exercise of disciplined power, combining and constructing with the clearest eye for probabilities and the fullest obedience to knowledge, and then, in yet more energetic alliance with impartial nature, standing aloof to invent tests by which to try its own work. Many men have been praised as vividly imaginative on the strength of their profuseness in different drawing or cheap narration. Reports of very poor talk going on in distant orbs are portraits of Lucifer coming down on his bad errands as a largely ugly man with bats' wings and spurts of phosphorescence or exaggerations of wantonness that seem to reflect life in a diseased dream. But these kinds of inspiration Lydgate regarded as rather vulgar and venous, compared with the imagination that reveals subtle actions inaccessible by any sort of lens, but tracked in that outer darkness through long pathways of necessary sequence by the inward light which is the last refinement of energy, capable of bathing even the ethereal atoms in its ideally illuminated space. He, for his part, had tossed away all cheap inventions where ignorance finds itself able and at ease he was enamoured of that arduous invention which is the very eye of research provisionally framing its object and correcting it to more and more exactness of relation he wanted to pierce the obscurity of those minute processes which prepare human misery and joy those invisible thoroughfares which are the first lurking places of anguish mania and crime that delicate poise and transition which determine the growth of happy or unhappy consciousness As he threw down his book, stretched his legs towards the embers in the grate, and clasped his hands at the back of his head, in that agreeable afterglow of excitement, when thought lapses from examination of a specific object into a suffusive sense of its connections with all the rest of our existence, seems as it were to throw itself on its back after vigorous swimming and float with the repose of unexhausted strength lydgate felt a triumphant delight in his studies and something like pity for those less lucky men who were not of his profession if i had not taken that turn when i was a lad he thought i might have gone into some stupid draught-horse work or other and lived always in blinkers I should never have been happy in any profession that did not call forth the highest intellectual strain, and yet keep me in good warm contact with my neighbours. There is nothing like the medical profession for that. One can have the exclusive scientific life that touches the distance and befriend the old foggies in the parish too. It is rather harder for a clergyman. Fair seems to be an anomaly. This last thought brought back the Vinceys and all the pictures of the evening. They floated in his mind agreeably enough, and as he took up his bed candle his lips were curled with that incipient smile which is apt to accompany agreeable recollections. He was an ardent fellow, but at present his ardour was absorbed in love of his work and in the ambition of making his life recognised as a factor in the better life of mankind. Like other heroes of science who had nothing but an obscure country practice to begin with poor lydgate or shall i say poor rosamond each lived in a world of which the other knew nothing it had not occurred to lydgate that he had been a subject of eager meditation to rosamond who had neither any reason for throwing her marriage into distant perspective nor any pathological studies to divert her mind from that ruminating habit that inward repetition of looks, words and phrases which makes a large part in the lives of most girls he had not meant to look at her or speak to her with more than the inevitable amount of admiration and compliment which a man must give to a beautiful girl indeed it seemed to him that his enjoyment of her music had remained almost silent for he feared falling into the rudeness of telling her his great surprise at her possession of such accomplishment but rosamond had registered every look and word and estimated them as the opening incidents of a preconceived romance incidents which gather value from the foreseen development and climax in rosamond's romance it was not necessary to imagine much about the inward life of the hero or of his serious business in the world of course he had a profession and was clever as well as sufficiently handsome. But the piquant fact about Lydgate was his good birth, which distinguished him from all Middlemarch admirers, and presented marriage as a prospect of rising in rank and getting a little nearer to that celestial condition on earth in which she would have nothing to do with vulgar people, and perhaps at last associate with relatives quite equal to the country people who looked down on the Middlemarchers. It was part of Rosamond's cleverness to discern very subtly the faintest aroma of rank, and once when she had been the Miss Brooks accompanying their uncle at the country assizes and seated among the aristocracy, she had envied them notwithstanding their plain dress. If you think it incredible that to imagine Lydgate as a man of family could cause thrills of satisfaction which had anything to do with the sense that she was in love with him i will ask you to use your power of comparison a little more effectively and consider whether red cloth and epaulets have never had an influence of that sort our passions do not live apart in locked chambers but dressed in their small wardrobe of notions bring their provisions to a common table and mess together feeding out of the common store according to their appetite Rosamond, in fact, was entirely occupied not exactly with dirtious Lydgate, as he was in himself, but with his relation to her. And it was excusable in a girl who was accustomed to hear that all young men might, could, would be, or actually were in love with her. To believe at once that Lydgate could be no exception. His looks and words meant more to her than other men's, because she cared more for them she thought of them diligently and diligently attended to that perfection of appearance behaviour sentiments and all other elegancies which would find in lydgate a more adequate admirer than she had yet been conscious of for rosamond though she would never do anything that was disagreeable to her was industrious and now more than ever she was active in sketching her landscapes and market-cards and portraits of friends in practising her music and in being from morning till night her own standard of a perfect lady having always an audience in her own consciousness with sometimes the not unwelcome addition of a more variable external audience in the numerous visitors of the house she found time also to read the best novels and even the second best and she knew much poetry by heart her favourite poem was lala Rook, the best girl in the world he will be a happy fellow who gets her was the sentiment of the elderly gentleman who visited the Vincys, and the rejected young men thought of trying again as is the fashion in country towns where the horizon is not thick with coming rivals but mrs plymdale thought that rosamond had been educated to a ridiculous pitch for what was the use of accomplishment which would be all laid aside as soon as she was married? While her aunt Bulstrode, who had a sisterly faithfulness towards her brother's family, had two sincere wishes for Rosamond, that she might show a more serious turn of mind, and that she might meet with a husband whose wealth corresponded to her habits. End of chapter sixteen Recording by Red Abras, January 2008.